Novel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. In every episode, we'll bring our big English teacher energy, discussing the modern literary landscape in context with the classics. Along the way, we'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're pairing upcoming fall book releases with backlist titles. Hi, Chelsea. Hey, Sarah. Are you ready for fall books? I don't know. I feel like nobody's ready for this (laughs) fall. (laughs) The pile of books that I want to read could fall down and smush me to my death. (laughs) It's such a good season. A wild season. I, I can't believe this is happening. I mean, I guess writers had time during COVID quarantine or I I don't know what's happening, but like I, I feel deeply for the people on awards committees this year because (laughs) what do you do when there's a new Zadie Smith and a new Lauren Groff and a new Jasmine Ward and a new Tim O'Brien and the new Roxanne Gay and a new, it's just like, what are we doing? I know. So we've each picked like seven or eight titles to talk about and to pair with Backlist. Obviously, there are going to be a ton of books that we don't get to cover on the podcast, but we will have lists upon lists upon lists to share in our newsletter, and we'll be talking about lots of books this season as we're pairing them with classics or as we're talking in our Modern Readers episodes. So just because we don't mention a book today doesn't mean that we won't talk about it at some point. Yes, there are We had to narrow it down. We had to narrow it down, and there are some I... I specifically chose not to talk about today because I'm excited to pair them with some things from our upcoming season. So just leave that little teaser there. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Sarah, we've got a lot to talk about, so I think we should get right into it. We are going to start talking about a few books that are going to be big. Like These are the big returning authors whose names you're going to recognize and everybody's really excited about these. So what are a couple from your list? One is The Fraud by Zadie Smith. I love Zadie Smith, and I was very – and I, I've read a lot of these, so I'll I'll make it clear when I've read them um, already and not. I was really looking forward to her writing some historical fiction with The Fraud, and she has a great New Yorker piece about – why she decided to finally write a historical fiction novel. She said she's been purposefully avoiding it for so long, but these characters just kept coming to her. And so all of the characters in the book are are based on real people. So the main character's name is Eliza Touche. She is a woman with a complicated past who finds herself being kind of She's she's the housemaid, but but more than that, to a um, a struggling, aspiring Victorian author. I think William Ainsworth Ainsworth is his name. He was a real real person. You can find his writing online. And so the book is really about her, and you learn about her past, the way she is kind of managing Ainsworth's house and estate and writing career. And in the midst of all of that, there is a trial that is totally captivating all of Victorian England. And it's this this butcher 
who pretends to be the long lost heir to this huge English estate. So like if that plot line, that like two episode arc of Downton Abbey intrigued you of like, is this guy the lost heir or not? Um, you have to read The Fraud. Um, it's fascinating because the the man who, the, the fraud himself, he kind of becomes close with a Black servant of this wealthy family. And the the servant does a lot of um, uh, passing of information to this fraud. And you learn about his history in Jamaica. And so there's so much richness and complexity with um, racial tensions and race relations in England during Victorian times. And Eliza is just a fantastic, ahead-of-her-time female character. This book is long, but the chapters are super short. I mean, like, one to three pages short. So you can just fly through this book. It's The Fraud by Zadie Smith. And my pairing is Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. Now, these two books could not be more different except for two things. One, they're super voicey. You really just learn the the voice, the personality of the main protagonist in these books. And second, they're both inspired by Dickens. Charles Dickens is a character in The Fraud, but The Fraud is also kind of a parody of the Victorian novel. Demon Copperhead, of course, is a retelling of David Copperfield. I think this is the kind of pairing that perhaps our listeners really appreciate where they're not read-alikes, but they're in conversation where it's fascinating to think what a an American novelist is doing with a Dickens retelling versus what a Black British author is exploring with her Dickens novel. I think if you enjoyed Demon Copperhead and just like thinking about the way contemporary books are really talking to the classics, this pairing would be right up your alley. Okay. I haven't read Zadie Smith. And I know. And I'm kind of like, well, I feel like maybe I would like her essays better. You would love her essays. But when you said voicey, that caught me because I love a voicey novel. So I think you would love that one, Eliza, as a character. Yeah. And Zadie Smith's essay about um, writing a historical novel is really funny. And she talks about how she, um, you know, she was going to write a Victorian novel, but it wasn't going to have all of those Dickens cliches, like characters with silly names. And then of course she stumbled upon the character she wanted to write about, whose name is literally Mrs. Touche. <laughs> <So laughs> it, it's, it's pretty charming and funny. Also though, I will say Zadie Smith reads the audiobook. I did not like her mm. narration. I did love her narration of her essays on audio, but her voice is so mellow. It it was hard. I recommend this one on, on the page. So I think you'd like this one, Chelsea, but it's not the one I would like really push on, on you, I think. Okay. It's good to know. <laughs> It's out September 5th, so by the time this episode comes out, it should be out and available for people. So that's exciting. Um, okay, I am really excited about this next one, Sarah. Have you read The Vaster Wilds by Lauren Groff? 
Yes, I loved it. Okay, good. Tell us more. Okay, so it begins with a character. You don't know her age at the onset. You do find out, but she's just called the girl. She's running away from something. You know we are in colonial America. You know she's being pursued, and you know that she did something that has caused people to pursue her and caused her to flee her community. And as she's running, she's just like, thinking about her her life prior to coming to the colonies. She thinks about the tensions, not just tensions, the violence between the settlers and the indigenous people on the land where they settled. And she is experiencing kind of the, the wonder and terror of the natural world. A lot happens, but it's a very quiet novel. Um, Groff is, she uses Shakespearean English for the dialogue, which is really fun to read. And I bet would be really good on audio, although I didn't get a chance to sample it yet. Um, I just thought, she says in, in her intro that this book was is in conversation with Robinson Crusoe. And that idea of a survival narrative, she's kind of twisting it. And it's she says it's in conversation with American captivity narratives, where if you've taught high school English, if you've taught American literature, you've maybe read some of these. Like I, I always think about John Smith's uh, autobiography of John Smith, where he writes it in third person. And he just talks about how amazing John Smith is the whole time. And then like John Smith was captured by the indigenous people. And then they all just worshiped John Smith and just like on and on. And you can tell just in the language she uses, how she is distancing herself from those, those writings. It's really beautiful. And it goes places that I did not expect at all. I thought it was gorgeous, like deeply emotional book, beautiful writing, um, doing a lot intellectually. I I thought it was fantastic. And it's out the 12th. So today, is that when this episode's dropping? (laughs) Mm, Yes. Yes, great. (laughs) It's It's on our calendar. It's out now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really excited about this one because I really like wilderness stories. So I think there's going to be a lot for me to enjoy with this one. You will. You will. And, And it's, it's, so similar to other wilderness stories and so different. And that's the kind of thing I love in my books. All right. Uh, Let Us Descend by Jasmine Ward is next mm-hmm. up on our big returning authors list. Anytime there's a new Jasmine Ward, I get so excited and it's been a while and she's been through a lot. And I just, I think this one's going to be on all of the awards lists for sure. I don't see how it couldn't be. Um, This is Let Us Descend by Jasmine Ward. It is a uh, tale of American slavery and focuses specifically on one enslaved woman um, from the time that she is sold through just the whole hellscape of her journey. And she turns into herself for survival. And she specifically turns to stories about her African warrior grandmother. 
So this is a story of harsh reality and legacy and ancient myth. Um, It's a tale of both folklore and scary real history. And I can't think of a a better writer to do this work than Jasmine Ward. Um, I think the epigraph is from Inferno, um, and that's where the title comes from, Let Us Descend. Um, And so we know that Ward often has some ties to like Greek mythology or classic literature. And so um, there's a a little tie-in with that. Um, Sarah, you've read this one, correct? It's so good. <laughs> so excited for it. I'm so excited. There's a- I this is one I have a an e-copy and I just haven't brought myself to read it cuz I think I just really want to read it with like the book in my hands, you know? I think so. I find this is something I've been thinking about a lot. I find when I read on my Kindle, which I love, and there's, there's nothing wrong with reading on a Kindle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I find that because of the way I read articles on screens, my brain wants to do more skimming and scanning and looking for the point on a Kindle versus when I read a paper book, I I just read physically differently. Um, so yeah, I, I think you should wait. There's science behind that. Yeah. It's for real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that if you haven't read Jubilee, by Margaret Walker, which I really want to read for the podcast sometime. And I've never read it. Um, me neither. <laughs> okay. So if that's why have, I want to read it for the show. For, yeah. Let's do um, it. But um, it is similarly a story about an enslaved woman um, and actually follows from her childhood um, through adulthood and the reconstruction period. And Margaret Walker, the author of Jubilee, weaves in stories from her own family history. Um, it's, it's really beautiful. It's a long, kind of a long tome, um, like maybe almost 500 pages. So maybe this would be a good big book for us to read at some point, Mm. but it's from, from all of the readers that I've heard from, it's really stunning and, um, an excellent classic. So I have to pair it here with Jasmine Ward. I think that they would be in great conversation with each other. All right. Well, I, I I don't think it's going to disappoint you in the least, and I'm excited to talk about it with you. Me too. Okay. Sarah, the other big author on here that I'm excited about, but that I like haven't thought about since high school is Tim O'Brien. Yeah. <laughs> um, I... <laughs> I just kind of like forgot that he was still alive. <laughs> okay, I have not forgotten that he's alive because I taught the things they carried, which he like continues to revise. And so every time I taught it, kids would be like reading aloud from their copy and we'd all be like, what is happening? <laughs> because <laughs> apparently he keeps tweaking it. And one of my colleagues actually had him as a writing instructor. And did you know that Tim O'Brien is an amateur magician who loves to perform magic for his students? Because stop. Yep. (laughs) Anyway, cringiest thing I've ever heard. 
He's alive. So maybe and well. from maybe from Tim O'Brien, you're like, oh, okay, maybe you're brilliant, so you can do some magic for us. Well, Tim O'Brien, um, he has a new book coming out in October. I believe the release date is the 24th. And um, this is described as a rollicking odyssey. So I'm very interested considering we just read the Odyssey. Anything described as an Odyssey is kind of hooking my interest lately. And it's involving a bank robbery by a disgraced journalist and a cross-country chase. Um, So it sounds kind of fun, um, which I wouldn't usually associate with Tim O'Brien novels. Um, But yeah, there's, there's a bank robbery. And um, this journalist um, who turned into basically like an online troll and then managed JCPenney, he takes a hostage and he's on the run from the authorities. They um, end up at a lakefront mansion in Minnesota, which Tim O'Brien is all about the Minnesota lakes. Um, There are a variety of characters on their journey. And it's just, it seems like, um, the titles America Fantastica. So it seems like it's that cross country, like exploration of the American terrain kind of thing. So I'm interested in it. Um, but what it made me think of was a book by Tim O'Brien that I read in high school in a modern literature class that was not the things they carried. It was In the Lake of the Woods. Have you read this one, Sarah? No, I've only read The Things They Carried. Well, In the Lake of the Woods, I remember really liking it, reading it in this in this class. Um, it is similarly about a Vietnam War veteran. He lives on the lake with his wife in Minnesota. His wife disappears. And um, it's kind of like a, it's a little bit like domestic thrillery where he's under suspicion and he's, because of his PTSD, he has flashbacks and he's not really sure what's real, what's not. Um, So there's a little bit of like a mystery element to it, but it's very literary. So for anyone who enjoys a literary suspense novel, Um, they might like In the Lake of the Woods by Tim O'Brien. And that's what I was thinking about because it's just one that I kind of forget that I read in high school. I really liked. So um, I'm excited to see. um, I haven't seen any early reviews or anything for this one, but I'm excited to see what Tim O'Brien is bringing us besides his his magic. His magic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised there haven't been. I have not been able to get my hands on this book. I have requested it and okay. So I I don't know. I haven't seen or heard anything either, but I am very excited about it. Um okay, one other kind of buzzy name book before we move on into a different category. Absolution by Alice McDermott. So it's coming out October 31st. Alice McDermott is a fantastic writer. And she's very interested in um, exploring her Catholicism and her um, wrestling with faith and religion in her literature. And I think this is the first novel she's written that's set outside of the U.S. And I have complicated feelings about this book. Um, But I want to bring it because I do think it's extremely well done. And uh, well, 
the writing is extremely well done. And Anne Patchett, who is also Catholic and probably resonates a lot with McDermott's writing, um, said that this was the best book of the year and she thinks it should win the Pulitzer. So I just, I'm not sure I agree, but I always love Anne Patchett's just like bluntness with whatever she thinks about a book. <laughs> and I, I want us to weigh in on this book as well on the podcast. So Absolution is the story of two women. They are wives of U.S. Um, U.S. military, and they are in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And um, they're officers' wives. They the book begins with like like the the first sentence is like there were so many cocktail parties or something like that, and so it really like is showing kind of the this like cloistered, privileged lives of officers' wives at this time and in this place, and two of the women become involved with what they think is like this really robust and thoughtful charity project that is probably like not doing nearly as much good as they they think. And and McDermott explores that for sure with with some degree of complexity. Um the story's told looking back and I think that's really helpful. It's told like I don't know 40 50 years in the future with one of the women telling the story to the other woman's daughter. I'm trying to fill in that that history for her. And so that level of reflection and removal was really, really great. The writing is stunning. I think that where I am still struggling with this book and I'm just not sure about is I felt like McDermott doesn't give these women a ton of agency in her writing and almost suggests that they are, um, they are kind of pawns, victims of this situation as much as the occupied people are. And so it was just, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what she was really trying to do here. And that's why I am considering my full thoughts. But I, I really wanted to bring it and pair it with When the Mountains Sing by Nguyen Phan Kwe Mai. This came out a couple of years ago. I read it as part of the Aspen Words Prize. And it's a story of a family in Vietnam. And it follows this family from 1920s into the present with a huge focus on um, the communist government rising up and the Americans' involvement in the Vietnam War. Um, it is, it's a really hard read, but it is beautiful. And her writing is also stunning. Um, and I just, I think same with Tim, or we just talked about Tim O'Brien. I just think if, if we are going to be reading stories about Americans in Vietnam, which I think we should be, I think we should also be reading stories from Vietnamese authors about their experience. Um, I have not read her new book, Dust Child, but it sounds like it might even be more in conversation with Absolution. It focuses more on the same time period and two sisters' um, entanglement with 
American soldiers. So I would also say that as a pairing, but I just haven't read it yet. Um, so I can't comment on on it as well. So um, yeah, I think Absolution, a lot of people are going to pick it up, especially with Ann Patchett pushing it. Do it, consider it, and then also pick up something from Nguyen Phan Quay Mai or another Vietnamese author to pair it with. All right. That brings us to our next category, which is indie and small press releases. I'm really excited about a lot of these this season. And I know you are too, Sarah. You've been specifically looking for indie and small press books to pick up. So I'm excited to hear what you're excited for. I am most excited for a short story collection. Um, This one is from Zank Books. I don't know exactly how to pronounce that. Sure. D-Z-A-N-C books. Um, Have never heard of this press before. But the short story collection is called Peach Pit, 16 Stories of Unsavory Women. It is edited by Molly Llewellyn and Christelle Buckley. This is um, out September 12th. And two of the authors that I noticed and recognized right away that are included in this anthology of short stories, Disha Filia and Lauren Groff. I loved Disha Filia's short story collection, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. So I'm ready to read more short stories by her. Um, And Lauren Groff has one in here too. This, uh, I'm just going to read this really quick two-sentence description. In these 16 stories, we see women at their most monstrous. As con artists and murderers, cutthroats and scalpers, ruled by ambition and grief and spite. Characters for those tired of being told to play nice, dressed to the nines and morally gray, the stories in this anthology comprise an envelope full of teeth, each one distinct, unsettling, and sharp enough to rip out a throat. Okay. I'm in. Yeah. (laughs) I'm really excited about this collection. And I immediately thought of My Sister, the Serial Killer by Oyinkin Braithwaite, which is a really short novel that I loved on audio um, and totally sounds in line with these short stories where the women are exacting revenge, taking out their spite in a morally gray area. My sister, the serial killer, is exactly what the title says. It is about a character whose sister kills her ex-boyfriends. But there's this question of like, did they kind of have it coming to them though? And how do you love someone who is doing terrible things to other people? Um, So I think if you enjoyed My Sister, the Serial Killer, if you liked Disha Filia's short story collection, this one might be worth picking up. It is Peach Pit. Um, and the cover is really cool. Oh, I'm so excited. I had not heard of this one. Can't wait. All right. Well, if you liked The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, I have another pick for you. Coming out October 3rd is a book called Company by Shannon Sanders. This one's out from Gray Wolf. So not like a tiny press, but um, an independent publisher and one that I really admire. This book of short stories, I cannot stop thinking about it. And it's nothing like radical. It's nothing totally new, but the writing, I mean, similar to Secret Lives of Church Ladies, like there, it's not like these, those stories were, um, a, 
like blowing my mind in structural ways or doing crazy things. It's just they're such good short stories and exploring maybe lives that we haven't seen on the page enough. And also just like I remember Disha Filia's every first sentence was like chef's kiss perfection. And I felt similarly about Company by Shannon Sanders. So it's a collection of loosely connected short stories, mostly exploring the lives of one Black family in the D.C. metro area. And there's a little, at least in the um, copy I have, there's like a hand-drawn character map, like family tree. I really hope that's what goes in the final copy because it's really cool to see the thinking, even like one name's crossed out and something else written there. Um, but it's it's it follows this family. There's some really poignant stories, really some really funny stories. And when I think about a well-done short story, I think about George Saunders's book, Swim in the Pond in the Rain, where he walks you through kind of his thinking about what makes a good short story. It's like, oh, you you start you're thinking this about a character, and then they reveal one more detail, and and it changes your mind about the character, and you start to think, oh, this is where we're going, and then you tw- and so you just it's not twists, but the author is just expertly leading you to a sort of revelation by the end of the story. And Shannon Sanders does that so well. So my pairing is obviously The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, which if you haven't read that, we're both co-signing it. Go pick that up right now. It's so good. Um, But I think uh, Company by Shannon Sanders is one that people will really love as well. Oh, I'm really excited about that. And I love, we don't usually have short story collections on our list. So I love that we have a couple of really good ones to recommend this round. And there are a lot of great short story collections coming out this fall. Like Kate Atkinson has one. Jumba Lahiri has one. Um, Yoon Lee has one. So great season for short story readers too. All right. I'll talk more about short stories soon. Okay, good. So there's a teaser. (laughs) (laughs) Um, not in this episode, but I have it on my list, Sarah, that we should do a short stories, modern readers episode. Oh my gosh. We're going to have to start like, releasing more than one of those a month because we have too <laughs> many ideas. <laughs> but I think that if people want to pick up these collections, like how to read a short story, short story often turns people off, mm-hmm. but well, it shouldn't. I think it's because it's really hard to to describe a short story collection. Like mm. you can really only describe it in terms of the writing or a theme you can't really describe it in terms of the story itself because there are multiple of them. And so that makes it a hard sell. I think that's why short stories are hard to, to push on people. I don't know. We've got to come up with a better way to, to sell them. Well, let's think about it and then we'll, we'll put it on our <laughs> modern readers episode. All right. My next one, I think we're both excited about Bluebird's Cast Bluebeard's Castle by Anna Biller. It's out from Verso I'm Books. Obsessed with this cover. Me too. I don't care it's what so is inside great. this book. I'm gonna it read is, it. It will be invited into my home and live on my shelves. The cover is amazing. It's just like this, <laughs> this um redheaded, buxom woman it's just standing in front of a gothic. It's so good. Just Click on it. Look it up. It's fantastic. More covers should look like this. Um, And it is about a woman named Judith. She's a writer. 
but she's like socially awkward and and shy and she gets swept away when she's on vacation by this man named Gavin who they have this whirlwind romance and she ends up marrying him and going back to his remote estate. So obviously like this is in the title, a retelling of Bluebeard. Jane Eyre was inspired by Bluebeard. Rebecca was inspired by Jane Eyre. So my pairings are for Jane Eyre and Rebecca, and maybe we'll bring it as a pairing for those two Um, or for Rebecca in September if we get to this. Although I have been trying to request an early copy of it and I haven't been able to get it. Yeah, me too. It's it's not on NetGalley and I haven't I mean, sometimes it's harder with the indie presses, it which is, is understandable. Yes. They don't have as many copies and they don't have the funds to get them out, but or even the staff to like, yeah. yeah. So, but I will happily spend my money on this book um, because the cover is so awesome and it sounds fantastic. Also, I just read Anne Helen Peterson's um, piece in uh, L magazine about like traditional wives on Instagram. And she talks about um, the woman, uh, TikToker Kendall Kay, who is a stay-at-home girlfriend and documents her to a billionaire. And she documents her stay-at-home girlfriend life. And I'm kind of interested in that as a pairing for like the Rebecca Bluebeard, Bluebeard's Castle storyline. So I'm I'm thinking about that as well when I'm bringing Bluebeard's Castle by Anna Biller out October 10th. Fascinating. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a woman in the attic? She had better go and check this billionaire's mansion. (laughs) I know. Well, I think it's a like penthouse estate, so there might not be an attic, but who knows who's lurking in like one of those lower level apartments, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Okay, um, next category before we go off on a tangent, because we probably could talk about that for another hour. Um, it's just assorted fiction. So these are not the huge names, um, although some of these might be recognizable. These aren't necessarily indie presses. These are just like general big releases, fiction books that we're really excited about. So, um, Sarah, you have a September 19th release on here. Um, The title intrigues me. Yeah, The Northwoods by Daniel Mason. And I had never heard of Daniel Mason before, but I know other people were excited by a new Daniel Mason. So I put him in assorted fiction, but I'm sorry if you think he should go in the big names. I'm sorry, Daniel. Um, This book is really great. It's getting a lot of early buzz. It is the story of one house in um, New England. And it's first built by this Puritan couple who runs away from their village. And then it goes all the way to modern day, telling the stories of the people and the not people who have lived and occupied this house. Um, so sometimes we get like the animal stories or the plants, the trees, and oh, there are also ghosts. Um, it's really, really cool. I think in some ways this is something we've seen before, that big generational, like pick a theme, um, narrow in, and then tell that full story. But it it did – so in some ways it didn't feel like 
revelatory. It felt like things like The Sun or Greenwood that people have loved. So if you love those books, um, I think you would really like Northwoods. But there were a lot of moments that surprised me that he went in certain directions. And I I liked the big picture commentary about history, which I think you would really like, Chelsea, just about um, the stories we we tell about, about history versus like the private lives of people and how they actually lived day to day. I'm pairing this with, I mean, it would pair well with those kinds of books, The Sun, Greenwood, those generational books, but I'm pairing it with Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell because I think thematically it really spoke to me in the same way about the way even the smallest lives have meaning and, and, and really matter and in shaping the direction of history and just to the extent that these people mattered to other people other people. So I I thought this one was really lovely. And I think a lot of our listeners would like Northwoods by Daniel Mason. Okay. As you were talking about it, I was like, that's the mountain lion cover. So I had to look it up and it is the mountain lion cover. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's the, uh, the mountain lion has like a special new England name. It's not catamaran. That's a boat. Mm. <laughs> something like that. I don't that, know though. what it is. <laughs> People are like yelling at it. At the, they know it. Sorry. Um, okay, Chelsea, what's your next one? All right, Sarah. I'm so excited about this book. This is out on September 19th as well. It is Every Duke Has His Day by Suzanne Enoch. And this is a bringing up baby inspired Regency romance novel. Bringing Up Baby is a movie from 1938 starring Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn, and it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And so when I saw Publishers Weekly and they put out their list of like most anticipated romance novels for the fall, and this one was on it, and I saw Bringing Up Baby retelling in Regency England, I was like, this was made for me in a lab. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited about this. I love a historical romance rom-com. And that's exactly what this is. It's like a madcap screwball comedy, but set in olden times England. So we have Michael Blumley. He is a Duke, of course, and he's eccentric. He is really more interested in science and electricity. Um, And his favorite aunt, Mary, Lady Harris, She leaves her precious black poodle Lancelot in his care, and she's going to go and travel the world. Um, Then we have Elizabeth Bitsy, um, and she's the third daughter of a Viscount, and she is just widely adored. She's like this, I don't know, bonkers socialite, and she's got a big personality, um, but she has a black poodle named Galahad, and Galahad is a demon in dog form. Um, so these two dogs meet in the park and their people are there, of course, for a meet cute. And there's a swap that happens and then a dog gets kidnapped and Michael and Elizabeth have to search London for the dog. And anyway, if you know the plot of bringing a baby at all, there is an eccentric scientist. Um, there is a, uh, flighty socialite. There is a leopard who escapes. 
There's an eccentric aunt. Um, I don't know. It's just got the makings of something really super fun. And it is closed door. It is a chaste romance. So I know a lot of our listeners are always looking for historical romance with less steam on the page. Um, So if you enjoyed A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting by Sophie Irwin, I think that would be a fun pairing with this. Um, But when I think of Regency rom-com and an eccentric animal-loving main character, I think of When a Scot Ties the Knot by Tessa Dare, which is open door, more steamy, but is hilarious. So I'm so excited for Every Duke Has His Day by Suzanne Enoch. This is not the only bringing a baby romance novel out this year. There's also one. Seriously, I was like, what is happening? And do these authors have a direct line to my brain? Um, (laughs) There is one, maybe this one's out in the wintertime. It's Wildlife by Opal Way. Um, yeah, this one's out in January. So, um, but it is, it's another retelling. So yeah, there's another one to look forward to soon. All right. Well, my next book is also a love story though, not a romance. It is called People Collide by Isle McElroy. And Kirkus described this book as Kafka meets Freaky Friday, and that is like a perfect description. So it's a married couple, Eli and Elizabeth. And if you're like, ugh, those names, Eli and Elizabeth, obviously it's intentional. So one morning, Eli wakes up and can't find his wife and then realizes he is inhabiting Elizabeth's body. And so the logical conclusion, of course, is that Elizabeth is inhabiting his body, but he he can't find her. She has run away with his body. And so he begins both searching for his lost wife and trying to figure out how to literally live in her skin, in in her body and, and Um, they are, this couple have been living in, I think, Belgium, oh, Bulgaria. Um, and Elizabeth was, had a prestigious fellowship and was teaching and they kind of got, got married pretty quickly so that Eli could come along. And so there's just a lot of interesting exploration of what does it mean to know somebody and a little bit of a challenging of this idea of like, you don't know somebody until you walk in their shoes McElroy is kind of saying, do you even know them then? Like, what does it mean to know somebody? Who is somebody? Is it their body, their soul, their ideas? And so the book goes in much deeper and surprising thematic territory than I expected. Um, Of course, it's exploring gender identity and power and gender and um, and the gender binary. McElroy is a non-binary author, but it verges into really interesting explorations of intimacy, even parenthood. It's it's lovely. Um, I was just totally enamored and surprised by by this book, and I think that if this sounds like something you would enjoy and you're wanting a 
slightly hefty classic to pair it with. Orlando by Virginia Woolf would be a great one to pair with this, where um, where Woolf follows a character who, uh, an androgynous or non-binary, maybe we would call this character now, who sometimes presents as female and sometimes male, and that follows them throughout history. It's a it's like a it's a speculative fiction novel, for lack of a better word. Um, I think I, I, this reading people collide made me really want to reread Orlando and see maybe how much is in conversation. And I think that could be a really fun project for anyone wanting to take that on this fall. So People Collide is out September 26th. All right, getting into October. I'm really excited about Starling House by Alex E. Harrow. Alex E. Harrow writes the kind of fantasy novels that I really dig. Like they're they feel very grounded in reality. They're often like set in a real place, but then there's also a fantasy component to them. And I just think her writing is really great. So this one is set in Eden, Kentucky, which is a dying small town. Um, And it's a Southern Gothic, heavy on the Gothic with a haunted house. And I started reading this one the other night, Sarah, and the opening lines echo Rebecca. They were like, I dream of a house that I'll never live in or something like that that I dream of. So I was like, "Mm, this might end up being a pairing. So to be determined. But um, the title comes from the name of the house. There was a legendary recluse and author named E. Starling who wrote The Underland. And this author, she disappeared um, and vanished. And in her place is Starling House, um, but there is an heir. His name is Arthur, and the town is ready to just abandon the house. But he um, just like is he's the caretaker. So our main character named Opal. No, it's I love the description here. Opal knows better than to mess with haunted houses or brooding men. Um, but she gets a job offer and she needs to help her brother, and so she can't resist. Um, and then yeah, she and Arthur are in this haunted house and things happen. So um it's a little bit fantasy gothic horror, but it's not so scary that I can't handle it. So um perfect for fall. And I'm really excited to read the rest of it and see if it really is a good matchup for Rebecca as it sounds like it is. And it definitely sounds like it would be a great pairing with Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia, um, especially with the brooding air to this haunted house and um, buried secrets and creepy house things going on. Oh, that sounds good. I, I have been focusing my fall preview reading on pretty, um, I don't know, intricate literary fiction. And I am excited for these fall reads that are a little bit faster paced and atmospheric. And that one just shot up my list. So the next one you brought, I have read, and this also feels like it was created in a lab for you, Chelsea. Right? Okay. Well, maybe you should talk about it a little bit too here, but it's One Woman Show by Christine Coulson. It's um, out October 17th. The cover is absolutely gorgeous. I really love the cover for this book. Um, And this is by 
Okay, Christine Colson spent 25 years writing for The Met. Um, and her final project was to write wall labels for the British galleries. And then during that time, she had this idea that she would love to use that format of writing the wall labels as a novel format. And that really excites me. So that's what she did. So she wrote this novel in the format of wall gallery descriptions. And um, she follows the life of Kitty Whitaker and um, moves through these art collections. Uh, and it's supposed to be eccentric and humorous. And I'm just super excited for this one. So um, I thought, of course, right away of how much we loved from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler um, in our last spring season when we got to talk about the Met and talk about art history and all of that. So I think that would be a super fun pairing. If you enjoyed revisiting the Met with that book, then this one could be fun to pick up. So Sarah, do you have anything else to say about One Woman Show? I mean, you can read it in an afternoon because literally every page is the size of oh wow the wall art uh, label. It's they're tiny, and the amount of emotion and humor she manages to pack into those is really impressive. I I thought this was going to be like reading just an interesting exercise, but I was surprised how emotionally invested I got in Kitty's story. Um, but like, yeah, each page has like the title, like masterpiece, age five, 1911 collection of Martha and Harrison Whitaker. And like Kitty, the, the person gets passed from collection to collection. And it's, it's just, it's really smart, but not so clever that there's no depth or emotion Mm -hmm. to it. Um, I think you're going to, plus it's Gilded Age mostly. So I think you're going to love that. Yeah. And I love, so I haven't been to the Met yet, but I have been to the Frick Museum in New York City, which is very much, it's a Gilded Age mansion with a lot of Gilded Age art. And so um, that sparks my interest very much so. Well, I'm excited to hear that it worked well for you, Sarah. I'm definitely going to pick that one up. All right. My Next one, my last one, is The New Naturals by Gabriel Bump. I really liked Gabriel Bump's book, Everywhere You Don't Belong, which came out a couple years ago, maybe four or five years ago, and was very excited to see he had a, a new one. This is the story of a um, of a young Black couple, successful couple, and they... I don't think this is a spoiler. It's on the cover copy. And I do think it is beneficial to know this going in. Um, they lose a child. And in part because their pleas to their doctor are ignored when they think that there's something wrong with their kid. And um, in that grief and devastation and anger at a system that has totally failed them, they decide to create a utopian society where people are safe and loved and everybody is accepted for for who they are and treated treated equally and 
she she finds like a a couple wealthy benefactors. They set up this society, and then it kind of ends up following various people who stumble into or or not stumble into who purposely seek out that society for whatever reason. And it's a little bit fractured, but the structure I think works. And I really appreciated, regardless of of where the story ends up, I always think utopian fiction is fascinating because dystopian fiction, we always we always start those in the middle of things, when things are clearly bad. But the premise of all of these dystopias is that somebody thought this was a good idea, that this was the way to do things better, right? And I like the idea of following that journey of somebody trying to create something good. Um, I really liked it. Ultimately, I feel like this book reads quite a bit like an allegory. Even the characters' names are all... Um, clearly like symbolic and stuff. And I like that in my reading. Not everybody does, but I I really enjoy that. I thought this might pair nicely with this other Eden by Paul Harding, which um, came out earlier this year and is on the Booker long list. And it's about like an accidental utopian society on this island off the coast of Maine where these where a bunch of kind of misfits found themselves and created this really lovely, harmonious society. And then it was obviously destroyed um, by the outside world. And so I I think they're they're doing, they're exploring similar themes in different ways. So that might be a nice pairing. So the new naturals is out November 14th. All right, Sarah, I have two nonfiction titles to share to wrap us up. One is Wild Girls, How the Outdoors Shaped the Women Who Challenged a Nation by Tia Miles. This one is out September 19th and really stunning cover. It's difficult to describe nonfiction books because usually the subtitle does it for you right away. Um, So this is about women who embrace the outdoors in order to challenge gender expectations and make strides in, in their lives. So This book goes into a few different examples of specific women um, like Harriet Tubman, who was forced to labor outdoors, but also learned the terrain in order to escape, Um, like Louisa May Alcott, who ran around in New England, um, like women's basketball teams who played outside um, in indigenous communities um, and lesser known figures outdoor explorers as well. And so this is um, just evoking the landscapes and the richness of the wilderness and how it can influence equal access for girls and women throughout history and today and how important outdoor space is for for those rights. So I think this is a really interesting premise. Um, I've said before, I really like outdoor books and wilderness explorations. So Wild Girls by Tia Miles is on my list. And then one of the memoirs that I really like and that's kind of under the radar that I like to recommend for people who like sort of like women making strides in outdoor spaces um, kind of books is End of the Rope, Mountains, Marriage, and Motherhood by Jan Redford. And 
again, it's nonfiction. The subtitle really talks about what it is. This is about a mountain climber. Um, in she's in a predominantly male field, um, but she loves climbing and has some adventures. And then she also gets married and becomes a mom. And her love of the wild outdoors is really tampered um, by this husband who wants to rein her in. And so it's a story of all of these things and it's, it's really good. So, um, I recommend that pairing for my wilderness readers. And then totally like opposite of women in the wilderness is the loneliness files by Athena Dixon. Um, this is an essay collection and this is, um, exploring the loneliness of, like being stuck in your house and being online all the time, kind of. Um, it's a memoir and essays. And yeah, it's really, I mean, the author is really laying herself bare. It's hard to say I'm lonely. And that's what she's saying in this book. Um, what does it mean to like get lost online? And what does it mean to seek connection when you're lonely online? Um, how does that affect your your mind and how does that like link us together in loneliness? Um, and how do we find our way back to human connection? Um, so this is a memoir and essays, but it's also like broader social commentary on our lives and our internet lives today. So I'm really intrigued by this, The Loneliness Files by Athena Dixon. It's out um, October 3rd. And I think it sounds like it would pair really well with Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino because um, that's an essay collection with like more social commentary, but memoir mixed in. And it's very much about like social media, reality TV, like how we live our lives on screens. Um, so I think that that sounds like an interesting, interesting pairing. Um, and I'm super curious to see what the loneliness files has to add to that conversation. So, um, those are my nonfiction picks for this fall. I'm glad you brought some nonfiction because honestly, I've just been skipping over (laughs) those in my reading. Um, am I looking at other lists and net galley and all of that? So, but those both sound sound great, and I, I'm sure there is a slew of other great nonfiction coming out this fall that we'll discover along the way. I think, I mean, I've seen a lot of celebrity memoirs. I think, th- I mean, there's a Britney Spears one coming out. There's there are a couple other ones. So um, I don't know. I like I wasn't as impressed by the nonfiction list, but I could definitely be missing something. So if you have nonfiction you're excited about, let us know. I think nonfiction is hard because the subject can sound really interesting, but I think it takes more reader reviews to get a sense of like, okay, what is this doing writing-wise and what will I feel going into it? So I'm excited to see what people pick up and are loving this fall. All right. We would love to hear what you're excited for. So tag us on Instagram or leave a comment on there telling us what titles jumped to the top of your TBR or what you're going to pre-order based on what you listened today or Maybe there's a book that you're really looking forward to that we didn't mention. So let us know. And while you're there on Instagram tagging us, make sure you follow us. But there are some other ways that you can support our independent podcast and our mission this year to make literary academia accessible to everyone. So 
We would love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This makes a huge difference for us in the charts. There's like a very clear difference that we can tell when we get like three reviews in a row and our podcast shoots up in the Apple Podcast charts. So it really does make a difference. It takes just a couple of minutes. It's totally free and easy to do leave us a review. You can also share the show with a friend or on social media. Also such a huge help to us. You can subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at novelpairings.substack.com. We're having a lot of fun over there. You might've seen our school supplies for grownups post recently. And of course, with our episode today, you'll get a bunch of resources and links to more exciting books to read this fall. If you subscribe to our newsletter, And if you have the means to do so, we would love to invite you to our Patreon community. You can become a member starting at just $5 all the way up to becoming a Novel Pairings producer. And this is a way to generously fund the show and to keep things running without us having to turn to um, a lot of sponsorships and ads um, and to keep us functioning as an indie show. So however you support us, every download, every listen, every share contributes to our growing community. And we're just really glad that you're here with us. Thank you to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. We'll be back soon with an episode on Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than ever.